Race matters. 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 to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Tanya Ali. And look, I know I might sound like a broken record, Sarah, but I feel like... Theatre is well and truly having a moment in this city right now. If you're a regular listener, you'll know Race Matters has been pretty theatre heavy over the past few months. We spoke to Tommy Misa and Miranda Aguilar uh, about Let Me Know When You Get Home, Oliver Twist Mm -hmm. about his production Jolly, and you can try to get us to shut up about (laughs) Seven Methods of Killing Kylie Jenner, but it's literally never going to happen. The list goes on. Yeah, I mean, also biggest congratulations to Seven Methods for an Extended season. Oh, so good. And they've sold that out too. I've wild. I well not wild. It's obviously what we need. Yeah. <laughs> but super exciting and just like biggest congratulations to them. Um, another play that's also making waves at the moment is Yellow Face on King's Cross Theatre. It's semi-biograph autobiographical play by Chinese American writer David Henry Huang. And this is the debut production of it in its country. It's also directed by Tasneem Hossein. Yeah, Race Matters contributor, emerging theatre maker and text-based artist Eric Jung caught up with Tasneem about what it's been like working on this production. You're going to be hearing that chat in a moment. So excited to share it. And it's also, I think, is this our first show, just you and I? Oh my God, maybe. I think this is a first. Holy shit. <laughs> a race matters first. Get it ready. Really is. I mean, we've got some really exciting things that we're also going to be unpacking just between the two of us. Um, obviously, things that we unpack on this show, always autobiographical. <laughs> so we have some funny stories to share just about how to emulate the or imitate the white male hetero cis um, mindset, that ego. Yeah, that confidence. The that confidence. often it's... has no real basis in reality. Like or boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many tales. Yeah, we have a lot to kind of discuss and unpack in that and kind of how you can take note from it in a way that benefits you, but also where we also need to know where the limits are in it. There's always a limit with that confidence, that type of confidence that turns into something that we all like to name and shame. Toxic masculinity. We're always going to name and shame that one. Hell yeah. (laughs) 
listening to Race Matters. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Tanya Ali. And yeah, as we were saying before, might be overly optimistic. I don't know, but I feel like the days of theatre being this hoity-toity, like <laughs> white and racist space are in the past or at least numbered. I agree. I like, I don't know. You, you want to feel like that's exactly what's happening, but, you know, we always have to live in reality sometimes. Like, we always have a bit of... What's the... There's a word for it. Like, um, not pessimistic, but we have to kind of be a bit like, uh, but there's got to be, like, something to remind us that that's not the case sometimes. There is an actual term for it. I just can't think of it right now. I can't help you. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe one of our listeners can text in and let us know if if you catch my vibe right now. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I definitely... I am very much feeling optimistic about it, even if that's not the case, even if someone is telling me that I'm being naive. I don't really care. I feel like we should take our small wins when we feel them, when we see them. Um, We don't get them very often. And after going to opening night of Seven Methods and then, like, all of the amazing theatre makers and performers that we've had in um, the Race Matters space over the last few months, especially post-COVID... I don't know if it's a COVID thing. I don't know what, but like, I just, I I feel like um, everything, all the work that's happened in all of these years prior, all of the struggle um, and all of those um, barriers being put in our way and people not um, allowing us to sit at the table. I definitely feel like that the structures and um, the legs for our own tables a multitude of different tables as well. Yes, yes, many different tables. There's not, not just one. There's not just one. There's so many different tables that need to be authentically representing people of so many different identities wherever they sit, you know. And so I definitely feel like, oh, there's just so many different tables being built right now. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's making that system that's been in place for so long, especially in theatre and performance, um, yeah, kind of tumble or dismantle i don't really like think it's um changing forever like i'm not changing forever i don't really think it's ever gonna go away Mm, for sure well i mean we're in a country that's built upon systemic racism it's always gonna be on stolen land exactly Um, that's never and you know reparations have not been made so that's so true and i don't think that's ever gonna go away but i think in terms of how we um build our own spaces Mm. for our own communities, you know, work for us, by us. Um, I I think that's what's kind of getting um, a strong shift. Totally. And I mean, as you mentioned, Seven Methods uh, has sold out their season and this next play that we're going to talk about has also sold out a season. So I feel like there's just no way for people to be like, nah, there's not demand for this. There's no audiences. Mm. This is a niche thing. <laughs> like, I don't know. I saw More Blessing um, made, made a comment at that, made a little bit of a um, side eye, <laughs> a little side eye um, observation of that in um, one of her stories when they announced that they sold out their extended season. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's definitely what's always been said, eh? Like, you know, what's the, what's the audience, though? It's such bullshit. <laughs> Who's your audience? I mean, we, we heard got- that. We freaking heard that. <laughs> Race Matters got yeah. that. <laughs> I don't know. Go look at the Opera House and tell me what audience. <laughs> mm. Oh, where's that person now that told us that so I can drop that on them? <laughs> Look, we'll send them a link. We'll send them a link. <laughs> 
So Yellow Face is a play by David Henry Huang and it's making its national premiere right now at King's Cross Theatre. Race Matters contributor, emerging theatre maker and text-based artist Eric Jung caught up with the director of the production, Tasneem Hossein, to get the lowdown on the play and what's gone into this production. So Yellow Face is a very exciting play. It was first performed in New York in 2007. Um, oh, actually, I think it might have had a premiere season before then. But tw- 2007 was when it was w- first performed in the States. And so it's this, like, big kind of sprawling comedy is actually how I describe it, which is funny because it talks about identity and it talks about China-America geopolitics, which I think is um, pretty pertinent. And it's just wild, like the the journey with it and my involvement with it has been kind of for the last 18 months we were meant to open last year and obviously uh things globally did not go as planned so yeah we were like a week out from no like three days out from our first rehearsal having done a table read like all ready to go and then it was just like well the world's shut down Mm. and actually in the last 12 months all of the things that this you know, 14-year-old play talks about are so much more relevant and kind of so present in a both very interesting but also alarming way. Uh, so mm. the show has a majority podcast and mm-hmm. also creative team. Um, how did that come about, I guess? Yeah, so for us it was uh, – so for myself as the director – um, and Jasper Lee Lindsay, who is one of the producers, we were kind of in conversation about this 18 months ago. Long, yeah, I think it might have been longer than that. And from the start, we knew that we wanted to uh, focus on the voices of diverse artists. For us, it was really important to have a design team as well who were people of colour, uh, which has continued. We have some um, specialist kind of working in voice and intimacy and movement um but yeah they're all women um so our creative team is all women and non-binary folk what's it like i guess working in that kind of space it's been incredible um it's really really uh i guess fortifying for us for jasper and i it was very much like we wanted to showcase the work that people of color um and people from migrant backgrounds um, do in the theatre, the fact that we're here and that we can create this work. And then on a practical level, it's a lot of, there is a strong love of food. It's, it, yeah, like I've been in other rooms where, you know, um, people like they've brought in their salad or whatever and it's just when not about that life in our <laughs> rehearsal room like we will often finish up rehearsals um and go to the pub there's been a lot of fish and chips there's been a lot of kind of like asian like chinese restaurants um and just like talking about food bringing food in during the rehearsal period we had chinese new year um wow, we had yeah. the beginning of ramadan and so all of us have kind of shared little bits of our um food heritage and also stories of kind of growing up and stories of, I guess, uh, racism or um, being bilingual, um, having migrant parents. I mean, some of those sound pretty serious and sad, but a lot of them are very kind of joyful Mm. experiences that we've kind of shared. What was the process like, um, I guess, casting the show? Uh, Do you have any comments on, say, the breadth of culturally diverse talent in the Sydney theatre scene? 
casting the show was so fascinating um, because there was one kind of role that we'd specified as a white man um, and there are a couple of roles that we'd you know specified as Asian men or Asian women and then some of them were broad um, and we actually ended up seeing more white male actors than any wow. other demographic because we'd had the most kind of expressions of interest from them so that was a really interesting experience from your perspective what would you want audiences to come away with i think it depends on who the audience member is i think for artists who or well for audience members who are of um diverse cultural backgrounds i'd really love for them to be able to see something of the relationship between them and their parents in the show. So one of the central, probably the central relationship in the show is between DHH, who is a stand-in for David in the play, um, and his father, HYH, um, Henry Huai Huang. Um, and it's a really beautiful relationship and I would love for people who kind of grew up in migrant households to be able to see themselves in that. I think broadly it would be really incredible for audiences, I think, to... I guess go away and think about what it means to be different in a society where we have a very specific understanding of what and who is mainstream. Um, I think there are some really beautiful moments in it. It's very kind of, in a lot of ways, it's quite a cerebral play. You know, they talk about geopolitics and they talk about kind of domestic politics in the 90s and campaign finance scandals and all of these things but I think there are some really human elements and some really yeah some really lovely moments between people that I think will hit close to home mm, awesome um what's been like your favorite part of working on the show uh I think my favorite part of working on the show is just being around so many other passionate artists from our actors through to you know our design team and like all of the other kind of support we've had the kind of the way that the I guess our community has kind of come out in support has just been extraordinary like we had a like a fundraising I guess crowdfunding crowdfunding and the kind of support that we had coming in and people posting about the show even before it started has been really amazing in the way that a lot of our peers Asian Australian artists have uplifted the story and contributed has been really kind of heartening. I guess what would you say to people who maybe might not go to the theatre that often um, maybe like why should they see this show mm. I guess. That's I, I think theatre is one of those things where uh, it's a it's a hard sell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean when you get such good storytelling straight onto your phone or your laptop and you, and you can watch a whenever, wherever, in your pyjamas, while you're eating a McFlurry and no one can see you. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think the thing that I love about this, about this show, is the fact that it it draws audiences in and we've staged it in a way that does. Everyone's kind of in the storytelling and they're part of the joke. They're part of this, um, this process, which I think is really fun. And there's something really nice, I think, especially now that you know, Sydney is opening up a little bit more, we can actually physically sit in the same space. And the King's Cross Theatre, where the show is going up, is so intimate. Um, it's a traverse space, which means that 
you can see the audience on the other side as in there's audiences on two sides and the play happens in between and so to be able to kind of sit with all of these other people and take in the same thing at the same time I think it's something that we perhaps didn't realize what it was to us until it was gone and so I think Mm. that this is a really great play to be able to bring people back because it is about experiencing something together and it is so kind of pertinent and so relevant to the kinds of conversations we're having and it's funny I kept we did a run the other night and I kept cackling all of the way through it is there a certain level of discomfort within that laughter like is there a certain like should I be laughing at this or has that been something you've had to like think about in the in the rehearsal room I guess I think probably for audiences there will be an element of oh I don't know if I can laugh at this for us in the rehearsal room I think because um we are majority people of color we're kind of laughing knowing what it is and you know and we've heard these jokes and they've been made at our expense and now yeah like it's there isn't a bit of an element of that there's one thing I uh the other day I asked one of the actors to say this quite racist line um and there are a lot of racist things that get said because they do get said in real life and so to take the sting out of it and for us to be able to see it it helps to put on stage I asked the actor to deliver it in an accent and he just gave me this look and he was like I'm gonna get cancelled and I was like yes and one of the other (laughs) actors piped up and she was like we're all gonna get cancelled and I was like hopefully not um but I think to do to give the play it's due and to do it justice sometimes we're just leaning into some horrible things that are being said um and yeah so there is an element of oh god I shouldn't be laughing at this but I should and I think David is um he has a lot of humanity in his writing and so he leaves that open for Mm. audiences to respond in that way Mm. we um yeah I think we have each other's backs on that you know from the start uh, some of the characters have accents um, one of the characters has a Shanghai accent um, and that was something that we wanted to do justice because, you know, I come from a migrant family and my parents have accents. They've been in Australia for almost 40 years now and it's never gone. And, you know, for some reason in this country we seem to privilege particular backgrounds over others. You know, I remember people saying, oh, you know, Prince George, um, he speaks French now he's a four-year-old who speaks French and you're like migrant children most of us speak two languages or three um and so yeah like for us it was really important to kind of get that in and to be able to talk about it in a way that it was like actually you know in the past people have used accents like a poo's accent Mm -hmm. to take the piss out of people but that's not what this is you know they're kind of such lovingly drawn characters by the playwright by David um that for us to then give them their voice um, with the accent that they have is just us, it feels like us doing them justice. Mm, that's so, ah, so good. Um, yeah, and I love it when like, yeah, like the writer and the director and, and the cast are just all like um, coming from the same kind of a similar place. Um, that's really awesome. Um, and I'm wondering like what, uh, going a bit broader, like what excites you about the theatre scene at the moment? 
I think the thing that's really exciting about theatre, particularly in Sydney, is the fact that there are so many artists and so many opportunities, I think, to make work. Like there are venues, which, you know, for friends who are making theatre in other cities, it's just not the case, even in places like Melbourne. Um, And so a company like KXT that is kind of voluntary and works as a cooperative to then give space to um, emerging producers like Jasper to put on a show like Yellowface with a whole bunch of artists who are um, some are very experienced but some at the beginning of our careers um, it's kind of really wonderful I think also like not even just in the independent space which I think is kind of thriving and really exciting I mean again funding would be more funding would always be welcome Mm. but I think a lot of the kind of more established theatre companies are taking their responsibility as kind of leaders in the field and companies that can offer employment and you know wages um, seriously and are looking to diversify their slate of artists and opening up the doors and welcoming people in so I think that's really exciting from Mm. my perspective. Mm. I think I really want people to know that this show and this space is for them. I think I think a lot about theatres physically as a space and whether or not people feel welcome. And this, I mean, for a lot of people, a pub is somewhere that they feel comfortable and you kind of know what it is. And, you know, this is a show that for a lot of people who work in the theatre, you know, we, we know that particular venue. We know it's Traverse. We know that it's really chill. You do not have to dress up. But I think... Yeah, that's the really nice thing about this. A lot of people are kind of bringing their families along to come see the show, like a lot of people who are involved in the production. Um, And, you know, the family members might come along to their shows to support them, but hopefully this feels like a show that they can kind of connect with as well. Um, Yeah, and I think it is very much, even though it's about Asian-American, Chinese-American identity, I think it is a show that welcomes people in because it's funny and it's warm and it has a heart. Um, and it deals with some really complex things, but in a really light way. I mean, there's a reason it was nominated for the Pulitzer. Mm. Um, and it feels like a shame that it's never been produced in Australia. And so it's exciting to be able to do the premiere production. And hopefully it means that, you know, we get to see so much more of work of this caliber that's tasneem hossein director of yellow face on now until may 8th at king's cross theater company the season is sold out but dinosaurs productions promises to post tickets if they free up so keep an eye out on their instagram their handle is dinosaurus prod so fingers crossed for an extended season there as well oh so good you're listening to race matters i'm tanya ali i'm sada khan let's have a chat about the straight male ego particularly the white cis hetero ego um we had natasha somersundram on the show with us last week um her and i spoke at length about the confidence of white hetero men um and they you know obviously have that due to their privilege and the benefits of the patriarchal patriarchal system that we exist under and everything that that affords them Mm. and i'll go into a yarn a little bit later about um (laughs) <laughs> some really comforting advice that Natasha gave me <laughs> when I might have taken that confidence a little bit too far. Um, 
<laughs> recently this week. But I think it's something that we all kind of really need to imitate and emulate as women of colour, as black women, because it's a really hard thing to do when majority of industries that we have to work in are so male heterodominated. Mm. And there's a um, lot of insecurity that we kind of initially get when we enter that space and we have to really constantly remind ourselves of why they can enter the space with this like unshattered like just unfiltered confidence yeah and you do end up like i've had many instances where i compare myself Mm. which is like really silly thing to do i've really obviously learned that there's nothing to compare because the light the lives that they've led are completely different to mine and what i've led and what i've had to learn and unlearn about myself and what's been told of me but um or what's been expected of me and like so many so many little epiphanies i've had more of them (laughs) we have had more of them as women of color than like white cis hetero men have had um so i i really feel like it's something that we can kind of unpack and kind of share for many of our listeners who are also of color and come from a multitude of different diasporas and identities as well of how to kind of pick apart that mindset and pick at it cherry pick at it they love to cherry pick so we're gonna cherry pick back (laughs) what is it about that confidence that we can kind of imitate for our own personal success but also how we got to remember that there's also a boundary to it because sometimes that confidence knows no line (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely you can just take it and run with it and uh make a bit of a fool of yourself (laughs) absolutely um i in one so i'm going to share real quickly um an instance where someone has taken that too far with me but i'm also just like how you can just do that really amazes me I don't like it, but it amazes me. And that happened to me recently at the gym. Everything happens for me at the gym. Yeah. Well, it's a place where you're like seeing people that you would just never cross paths with otherwise, I feel. It's just this like weird microcosm of also a lot of like toxic masculinity. Absolutely. I just feel like a lot of my anecdotes are there. (laughs) (laughs) We get it. You're fit. You work out. Jesus. <laughs> oh my god, I see let it run no. Um <laughs> No, but um I was at the gym one arvo, this is like two weeks ago, and I was at the squat bar and I did my usual squat set and there was this fella that was standing behind me watching me. Uh he was on a different squat bar, but he I could see I noticed I clocked him looking at me, but I didn't think much of it. Because everyone looks at everyone in the gym and you know, I'm definitely my eyes are darting around as well because I'm not because of anything bad. I just, you know, I've gotten, I've, my eyes are always appreciating, always appreciating. <laughs> and I, you know, love seeing people taking care of themselves and doing what they're doing. I'm like, Oh, you do want to do that. I might try that one next time. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I didn't think much of it massively when he was looking at me, especially cause this is a gym that I go to all the time. Like I frequent it all the time. So I've, you know, there's a lot of usual faces there, but this wasn't a face that I really had picked up on quite new. And he was looking at me and I was like, Hey, whatever. Did my first set and then I finished it. And then he like yelled, kind of semi yelled out to me and was like, you feel all right doing it like that? Oh God. And I went, what? He's like, your form. You sure that's right like that? You sure you feel good doing it like that? Uh Your form? And I didn't acknowledge him. I yep. just looked at, literally looked at him dead in his eyes and turned my back to him. 
I was like, no, not, not today. Yeah. You're not getting a bite from me today. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. is Monday. I have seven days left of this week. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not going to empty and drain myself out right now. I'm just Absolutely. gonna walk away. Yeah. I've got a lot of a lot more days to get through. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, took the high ground and turned my back, did another set finished and then he came up to me oh, and goes calm down there's no need to get upset uh, what the actual hell i know you want to swear right now yes right? <laughs> yes i do um i i was stunned i was like gobsmacked and then i yelled out at him and everyone looked i think it might have embarrassed him because i i didn't yell like anything bad i just went excuse me what did you just say like really loud so obviously everyone in the gym is like what's going on yes. and everyone looked at him and then he completely changed tone and he was like oh no i'm just i'm just saying i'm sorry i didn't mean to upset you before oh my god just fully flipped it and gaslit me and i went okay and then turned my back to him and i was just sitting there and just like Oh, it was still in me. It was just still in me. And I was like, how did he, where does that, where does that audacity come from? I obviously know in a theoretical sense of everything, you know, systemically where it comes from. But same time, I'm just like, damn, it takes a lot to do that. Mm. To really get up out of your space and disrupt mine. Yeah. And especially when I didn't acknowledge it. Like, I was just like, do I walk around with a sign on my forehead that says I need to be reminded of your existence? Like, yeah. you're looking at being me being like, i got to let her know that I'm here. Fully. <laughs> but same time, then, like, you know, after a few days of um, compartmentalising it, because we always have to do that after someone does that to us, mm-hmm. you know, whenever, like, as like black women, as women of color, when people interrupt us like that and disrupt our peace and then make it sound like we're crazy, even when I didn't do anything, it takes, it's like, a, you know, two to three, you know, working days, business days of just like filtering through those emotions Yeah. of what did I just experience? Why mm-hmm. did that need to happen? Was that necessary? What did that do for me? Um, and by the end of it, I was like, man, that's a, that's a toxic level of confidence, but also like, how like how can I kind of pick that little just like a little sliver of that confidence for myself mm. at the moment? Because like I'm in a working space right now where like I really do need to like fake it. Mm. I really do need to act like I'm you know William Big Balls and just like take up the space and act like you know I'm the loudest, most dominant. I am the only right one in the room, but yeah. to an extent where it's believable. <laughs> <laughs> as well yeah you know um and so yeah i just i really want to like hear some instances as well where people have had to imitate the white cis hetero mindset in order to gain what they needed like i know that like it's definitely a role that you need to play it's a performance Mm, definitely a performance yeah i also feel like i don't know something that i've been thinking about a lot is like how we're really used to second guessing ourselves and our like skills and our like reasons to be in certain rooms. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome a little bit later, but the way that white dudes will just like put themselves forward for stuff Mm. all the time. And like, they're not even, they're not thinking about like, Oh, this person might think that 
I'm being really big-headed about this, or even if they're absolutely underqualified, which often they are yeah. for a thing or like like they're just they're just there being like I can do that whatever yeah. and we like stew away at stuff and like pick apart all of our like skills and our inadequacies and whether we're good enough for professionally and also sometimes just like in creative fields yeah. in whatever we do I just imagine not even having to think about that at all yeah I don't get it it's such a privilege that I really want. I know. <laughs> I want for myself. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think it's something that we have to kind of perform. It's not innately in us because we haven't been bred in a system that affords us the space to think and be and exist like that, mm-hmm. where you can, like, because it's also a, a conditioning thing as well of how people react to you. Like, I definitely know that, like, we have been conditioned to just um, accept what's get being dished to us, like, accept what's being delivered to us by um, masculinity, by, like, white cis hetero men, that whatever they say goes. Mm. And it's fact. It's always rooted in fact. And, like... Um, it takes, you know, we've had to be taught and sometimes self-taught on how to how to challenge that as well and see that that's not, like, the whole world is in a disarray because of that mindset. Yeah. Um, like, every issue that we have is fundamentally because of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but there's so much um, misinformation out there and um, so many people that take up the space that are from that identity that are white, cis, male, hetero men that, you know, manipulate it and say, like, you know, oh, can't do this job because what about you know when they get their periods that's oh why they God. can't be they can't hold like high positions of power they get too emotional so it's like we've always we've, we've also been conditioned to just kind of like listen mm. and it's like a long time of like you know learning and unlearning that we always say and like developing the um engine within ourselves to challenge it well because there's also because of all of those expectations that are put upon us and that exist as soon as we start defying those we're seen as unpalatable or like you know there's quite a bit of resistance even Mm. if it's totally subconscious that happens when you step up and push that stuff to the side yeah I've been noticing a lot in a professional space dealing with generally dudes when like there's a couple of different people like say I'm in a conversation with someone else who is working for me and then another person so two people who are working for me and then the dudes will just talk to each other as opposed to listening to me and I've had to like snap sometimes because it's just like literally I'm the person who knows I'm trying to tell you how to do this thing and you are ignoring me. And, like, I I never really picked up on it until this year, yeah. but I've been noticing it so much. Or, like, in a room when dudes will, like, actively not make eye contact with you yeah. and speak to, like, a person. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's really, like, started to grate on me. Oh, wow. I Yeah, the eye, I didn't even think of that, the yeah. eye contact, because that's definitely happened to me as well. I mean, like, I definitely feel like I make active choices in only making eye contact with women in the room when I'm speaking. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm only going to look at my tits right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more of like, but that's coming from a place of challenging, not because I don't think that, like, other people in the room are less important. Mm. Um, but that's so, like, that's so, like, really 
messed up as well that like you actually literally hold a position of power tanya and you're still not being granted that same respect that authoritarian not i shouldn't say authoritarian but that, that you know that kind of engagement that's expected when you do hold an authoritative position yeah you know a managerial position and that would automatically be granted to someone that is a white male cis like Literally. all of that you know and so yeah it's just about like how do we kind of you know, because we have our emotions about it, our emotional reactions, and we've got to let that kind of be felt and explode in our ways about it. And then when we all kind of gather back down again, it's like, all right, now how do I take the pieces of that situation and of that identity that really kind of is a barrier in my way, but I can also really utilise it and perform it for my for my own benefit, mm. you know? And I've, I, something I've been trying to, like, kind of, like, see a lot more of or be more wary of because sometimes I'm automatically like, you know, I'm not good enough to be here. Yeah. Like, I just don't know like how to like, maybe I just, I'm not like, this isn't meant for me, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm, you know, not confident enough to be here. And I'm like, hang on a second. No, they can do this because for the entire existence of colonialism and the patriarchy, they've been allowed to do this. And this is only new that I'm allowed to be in this space. This is relatively new. And I've not had anyone really be able to like guide me appropriately because of other many different varying factors of colonialism and intergenerational trauma that could actually actively guide me in how to exist in these like highly toxic masculine spaces Mm. you know it's something that is really quite self-taught and i think it's also generational as well um for us you know in our age group and below to kind of um have this like self-realization and know how to and be like hang on a second this isn't quite right let me redefine and redesign it um even if like no it's not landing for everyone else in the room i can walk away feeling like i still like you know i didn't let that um let everyone else in the room filter a fil- filter or dim my voice mm, i totally. could still like because it's about well, at all times it's for us about trying to consistently speak our truth but we always get denied that so it's like how can i just like take that bit of the white cis hetero ego so that i can exist in my truth like just like let me just get a like. I feel like I should. We should write like a how-to. Oh my on god, this. let's do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm into it. Okay, so what's a time when you've maybe run with it a bit too far? <laughs> um, last week. <laughs> I knew you had one. I knew it. Well, I was just coming off the back of a hectic week as well of work, where I was having to kind of really show up in that like false sense of confidence. Is it a false sense of confidence? I feel like the white, his cis hetero ego is like a false sense of confidence mm. because it's like they never really back it up. Oh, it's but- just like an unrelenting confidence. It's like regardless of anything else that's happening in the room or anyone else, yeah. you're just going to like steamroll ahead. I, absolutely. And so that's so true, yeah. And so I, I had to kind of do that for a hot minute, for a hot, no, hot few months really. And... <laughs> And I might have got to be carried away with it when I went up to Townsville on Sunday last week Mm -hmm. and i just come out of, I was running on like a few hours sleep as well. My flight was at like 6.30 in the morning. I was super tired and I always book 
the window seat. Always. I love the window seat. That is my space. Hell yeah. I like to look at the land as I take off and as I land. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. And so I never, when everyone's like, no, the aisle seat, so you have access. I'm like, no, I'm no. Not, I'll climb over everyone. I don't care. But yeah. like, I need to sit on the window. And I was certain, like 100% certain that I booked the window. And so I didn't look at my seat number. I just looked at the row and I was like, yeah, that's my row. That's my seat at the window. Walking through, someone is sitting in my seat, in the window seat. And I was like, straight up, I was like, that's my seat. (laughs) (laughs) And this girl was like, what? I was like, that's my seat. And I had to smile on my face. I was like, sorry, it's a bit awkward for you, I know, but that's my seat. (laughs) Um, You're sitting in my seat. Can you move? And she was like, this isn't my seat. And I was like, no, I think it is. Like, you might either be in the middle of the aisle, but that's my seat. Yeah, you're in my seat. And I was so confident. She was like, what is your seat number? And my voice didn't even shake. And I was like, my seat number is 16D. And she was like, D is the aisle. didn't even check myself I still wasn't like I looked up I was looking up at the like numbers on the um aisle there and it said D on the aisle and I still was like but I booked a window so that's not right I was still questioning I was questioning the actual directions (laughs) I was still not that white cis hetero confidence was still there and I was like no you're wrong (laughs) actually this plane was manufactured wrong was manufactured wrong And I looked at her and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Sorry, I thought I booked a window seat. But anyway, and sat down. I just wanted the whole ground to swallow me up. I was so embarrassed. And I messaged Natasha. Yes. So Natasha, who we had on the show last week, messaged her straight away. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the worst thing ever. I'm so embarrassed. I have to sit next to this girl for two and a half hours now. Someone, like, I just just want to just, like, not exist right now. I was so embarrassed. (laughs) And um, Natasha was like, it's fine, sis. You've just been running off of that white male confidence. You're existing in that space still. That's all you're trying to do. We just don't know how to switch it off sometimes. That's all it is. I felt so much better when she said that to me. Hell yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what that was. That's actually... You're 100% right. Like, I'm not even kidding. That's because ex- I was coming off of such a hectic week where I was having to show up yeah. like that all the time. Yep. And I had no sleep. It was super early in the morning. We had had some race matters beers the night before. <laughs> and I was like, you know, they were kind of still sitting on my mind a little bit. I yep. was really cloudy and my judgment was just not great. And that was when the white, that, see the judgment of a white cis hetero man? Yeah, it wasn't. I was. It's- I was method acting. (laughs) (laughs) You went too deep. I went too deep. I went too deep. (laughs) I went too far. Oh, Uh, so yeah, I think like that was when I definitely took it too far. I was like, oh, sorry, peel it back. Peel it back. Oh but, my god! But then at the same time, I was like, "No, I'm still a black woman because I still got some shame about myself because a white male man would not feel that. He would still be like, "No, you're wrong," and fight the whole plane and the flight attendants for the seat. Literally, Whereas yeah. I was like, "No, I'm not going to die on this seat." No, no. <laughs> I think that was a good call. Self-preservation <laughs> at all costs. <laughs> oh, we are running out of time, but I want to shout out an article that we'll link to in the programs yep. page. Um, it's done by the Harvard Business Review, which I did not expect us to ever be talking about on Race Matters, <laughs> but here we are. But they've done this great article about like how imposter syndrome uh, isn't really a thing. For I feel like we talk about it a lot, uh, 
and for women and especially women of colour, it's just like there are actually active systems in place that make us feel this way. Like this is, once again, the system working exactly as to it should be. To tell us yeah. to be insecure, 100%. Yeah. 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 So um, great one. We'll talk about it later, I'm sure, at length. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is all for Race Matters this week. My name is Tanya Ali. I'm Sada Khan. And you can find every episode of our show at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters or wherever you get your pods. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.